Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Speak to you today. Father, thank you for us being in the house of God, uh, amongst the people of God, to receive your word of God, Lord. We pray that your word would set us free as we know truth, that the truth shall set us free. Uh, we're living in wicked times uh, of men of corrupt disposition and rotten uh, attitudes, Lord. And insanity has vexed our generation as your word says that when we disobey your commands, that lunatics would result. So we pray, Lord, that you restore us to sound teaching, sound wisdom, that we would have peace of mind and we would stand strong in your principles. We pray that you bless your word this morning. We pray that your word prospers in the hearts of your people. And we pray, Father God, that we would raise up to be the church of Jesus Christ in the last days without spot, without stain, blemish, or wrinkle, Lord. We pray that you be exalted, Lord, and celebrated above all the craziness that's in the land this day. And we pray, Father God, that your righteousness prevail and that you might champion uh, your purpose, Lord, as you intended, as the word of God says in the last days, um, your glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the uh, ends of the earth, Lord. We pray that you use us to fill the earth with your glory and that our way of life and our disposition to be intentional about the things you command make us a unusual and peculiar people upon the earth. We give you thanks for your goodness and your mercy upon our lives. We pray that your word would be a good seed planted in good hearts that would give good fruit. In Jesus' name we pray and the people of God say amen and amen. As we start seeing the orderly effects of God's word, it, it's supposed to be an instruction that brings us out of insanity and I believe that um, well, many times when I'm describing my testimony, I, I share the fact that the first greater part of the 20 years of my life, because I didn't come to church, to a Christian church till I was 16, but the greater part of the first 20 years were part of a lot of things that were not supposed to be. Um, had we been raised up in the Lord and trained up in the ways of the Lord, we would think totally different and we would have avoided a lot of the pitfalls of our youth. Um, there in Luke chapter one, uh, chapter one, and I believe it's verse one, you, you see that this gospel, it lays out the preliminaries of what is to follow. And, and I, I love this introduction because it sets forth a little bit of the rails that will keep us within the boundaries of what's trying to be achieved here. And so here in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand 
They've taken it in their responsibility to set in order, to put things in a proper perspective, the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. So there's a lot of people trying to write the story and the transcript of the lives of the people that would follow um, and of those things that are being fulfilled even while they're taking place. Uh, Verse 2, he says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to us. So many people are partaking in these events. Um, They're experiencing what is taking place as God is fulfilling his word among us. In verse 3, he says, It seemed good to me also, since I have perfect understanding of all the things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Um, Why would he do that? Why, Why is he being purposeful and intentional to write things in an orderly manner. Um, And he says why in verse 4, so that you might have certainty, so that you might know that there is a surety and a confidence to be able to place your reliance upon those things which you're being instructed. As, as I see it, many of the sons of former religious leaders and even patriarchs of the faith have, have been shaken and lost. I quote one of them. He says, I'm more familiar with uncertainty than I am with certainty. In other words, there's more fog and smoke in his life of things he doesn't understand about God, that he doesn't understand about the church, that he doesn't understand about his faith. He can't even pass it down to his children because he knows not. And as the writer of the gospel is writing these words, he says, I want to give you an orderly narrative and explanation of all those things so that you might have certainty. So that you have, there's some assurance that you're passing down something that's not going to take your children astray. I was terrified to put my three boys into seminary. I, I wanted them to become preachers, but what's being taught in seminary is that God doesn't really exist the way the Bible explains it. And that history in the Bible and they replace it, and this person is really Paul, and this is really, this is not really God, and by the end of it, you're left with nothing. And so, the Word of God is our sure roadmap. The Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God will not pass away. So, to be rooted in these matters is really important, and I think that the pimps and the whores and the crazy cats have done a great job in twisting 
the affairs of our children to the extent that nowadays our children believe there's nothing wrong with a homosexual lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with a transgender man who wants to be a woman or a woman who grows his beard and wants to be a man. And nowadays, it's almost you're reprimanded if you would challenge that. Um, you would even be fired from your job. You have to move in the direction of the, the crazy people and things twisted. But here it is, while the Bible is talking about there's certain things we could confide upon and are certain, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, there, is certain, there are things that are uncertain. And it tells us what to tell people. Command, he's not making a, he doesn't say teach or suggest or warn. He says, command those who are rich in this present age. So you see that, that a wealth and riches and money in our time could lead to you to distance yourself not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to be arrogant, nor to trust, place their confidence in the uncertain riches, but to rather place your strong confidence in the living God because he is the source that you might enjoy all things richly. So I've taught my children that money is not the source of our confidence, it's God. That, that God never runs out. So you'll, you'll have people, and I had a person this week come up to me and says, uh, Pastor, do you think I'm going to have to start saving up and storaging food because famine and a short shortage of supply is coming upon the land and famine will soon be upon us. So that question was like, the answer to that question is get closer to God. He is a faithful source of confidence and provision. And so I know that famine exists in the Old Testament. You research it. My understanding is in the midst of a famine, people were eating pigeon dung. The refuse and the dis, the waste of pigeons was being eaten because people were so hungry. So we know famine is true, and we know that earth has experienced famine in the past. But it tells us there that our confidence is in a living God who continues to be faithful and generous to give us richly all things to enjoy, verse 18, not only command them not to be conceited and arrogant and set their hope in uncertain riches, but instruct them to do good and be rich towards good works, ready to give and willing to share. Verse 19, in this way they're storing up for themselves 
a good foundation for anything that is coming down the pike in the time to come and so that they might also grasp on to eternal life. So we, we see in Luke that he's writing the things in the Gospel of Luke to give certainty that some men have, have moved over into the direction of uncertainty and we're going to call these individual pimps because they live garnering wages, unrighteous wages in the midst of these affairs for the pursuit of confidence and supply. So there in Numbers 22, we have our first pimp by the name of Balaam, and he's receiving wages that are unjust that he might curse the people of God. You do well in reading Numbers 22 and finding out that this pimp who's pimping out wages, uh, receiving these wages um, to go after God's people in a manner to curse them. He soon finds out that you can't curse what is blessed. How many say amen? You, you can't bring darkness where the light is shining. So the premise becomes that it doesn't matter what people are doing in the direction of monetary exchange. And I would like to tell you that some of these pimps will serve the world and their employment greater than their God and in the work of God in the house of God. They're, they're spiritually unemployed, um, unemployed. They think that being employed outside of the kingdom is the place to invest their time their talents. Um, ever since I learned this formula that God has given us all time and talents, I'm going to put my time and talents into the kingdom of God because it has a better return than anywhere else where I put these things. And I've always tried to be most efficient to not waste my time in other pursuits and affairs knowing that God remunerates better than does the world why because he's not unfaithful to forget what we do in his direction so i've been saying this now for 20 years a lot of people lost a lot of money they're embarrassed to say it if i were them i would say it for the joy of righteousness and tell us how many hundreds of thousands of dollars they lost trying to invest in the market and in property and in business affairs um they won't. They won't tell you how much they lost in that because they will be embarrassed to admit it. But these, these men that are wicked and have an attraction towards the things that are not from God, here it is in Numbers 22 that Balak saw what Israel had done to the Amorites in verse 2, Numbers 22, 2. And the Bible says in verse 3, that Moab was exceedingly afraid of these people because they were many. Moab was sick with dread um, because of the children of Israel. And, and that's, that's going to be true all the time. That, that the surrounding nations look at us and don't understand. Why does God take care of us? Why is it we don't perish? Alexander the Great perished. The Roman Empire perished, and Israel is still standing. It's a tiny nation, but it has a mighty God, and that is us. 
the Bible says, so he said to the elders of Midian in verse 4, this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up grass of the field. And Balak was king of the, uh, the Moabites at the time, verse 5, he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, and he called them with a charge saying, look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, verse 6, please come at once and curse these people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and him he whom you curse is cursed. Um, I think that you should position yourselves in a manner that you do not stand against God's people or God's move. You should discern. Um, I've told men before, when God moves, he's like a steamroller. Don't stand in front of him because you will end up flat. You will not be able to withstand being on the wrong side of a move of God. And I've seen a lot of foolish people stand in front of the move of God to try and curse it and come against it. And, and the truth of the matter is that when God is moving, there is a blessing and a prosperity that nothing can stop. It's very phenomenal. And so he hired Balaam, speaking these words to him, telling them, go and curse these people, Israel. And here, verse 7, so the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed, say with me, with a fee in their hand. If you allow money to direct you steps, it will. And we have said in this church, we're never going to make a decision based on the issue of getting more money because we want the blessing. We want God's favor and blessing and the confidence of what you hoard with regards to a payment, like in this particular case, becomes your demise. The devil will always use money to sway the heart of the wicked. When he tried to get Jesus to bow down, he says, I'll give you the glory of all these kingdoms. And Jesus says, you can't buy this. I'm not moved by increased money. I'm looking for the blessing. Uh, there also in the story of Abraham, where the kings came and said, Abraham, we're going to finance you so you will never lack anything. And he says, you can't bless me. I won't even take a shoelace. It wasn't a shoelace a strand for my sandal. I won't take not even you to help me put my sandal on right because my hand is raised up to heaven from whence comes my provision. So he was unfazed. In this particular instance, Balaam takes the money and God is not going to allow him to curse his people. And so you know the story he ends up moving in the direction of his pimping a fee 
to curse these people. Look what God tells them in verse 12. God tells Balaam, you shall not go out in this number. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. You can't come against someone whom God's blessing is upon. And so there's a lot of money moving in our generation at levels you probably haven't seen. Um, I, I've seen that God has no problem blessing the Walmart family. They're called the Waltons, I believe. They're super blessed financially. The Green family from Hobby Lobby are blessed through the roof. It's interesting to see the blessing of the Lord upon his people and how they bless the nations in regards to the kingdom of God. In, in order, their increase is an increase for the kingdom. God has made, blessed them to make wealth and they bless the, the light out of God's people. Um, I believe there, there are people that, and I've taught this here for 24 years, ask God to give you a million dollars. I've said that. Ask God to make you mighty and wealthy, and then you say, Lord, now that I have a million dollars, when I make two million, one is yours. Absolutely. Lord, you already gave me what you said you would give me. The next one is yours. And Lord, if you give me four, two for you and two for me. And as God makes you wealthy, have no problem being extravagant with your God. You say amen, but it's not happening. Because you make a million, you keep a million, you hide a million, you, you deposit. And, and we, we get funny. We get funny with God's blessings. And you see, not only is there not the next million coming this way, you disappear. Because you don't have money, money has you. I, I don't know this lifestyle of pimping, but I, I know that, that it's strong in our midst. Men whose hearts are swayed with increase of money. So for whatever it's worth, they, they begin to act funny. In this particular instance, I love the story because Balaam is not listening to God. He takes the money and he is going to go in the direction opposite. And it's to me, verse 21, so Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the prince of Moab. No, you're not to go with the prince of Moab. God sends you out to speak on his behalf. You're not to receive a wage to go in the opposite direction, surrounded by people that are not godly. I, I, this, this has been my rebuke for 24 years. People come into the house of God. God restores them. God blesses them. We, we heard that last week. I believe it was uh, this week on Wednesday night. If you didn't hear the heart of a backslider, listen to that sermon. So God, God restores, he replenishes. Now, instead of you being stronger on God's side, 
Now you're in the world and you're dealing with the Moabites and you're walking contrary to God because there is a financial reward. So you're not surrounding yourself with more godly people. Now you're surrounded by those of economic interest. And thank God for donkeys who talk. Because the story is, in his direction, God's going to rip his head off. How many know that? Sends an angel who pulls out a sword and is going to slay not the king of Moab, but Balaam. Because he's playing the role of a pimp. He's being driven by economic factors when God has given him his precious Holy Spirit. We, we need to be a people led by the Spirit of God. And he's still willing to talk. If you harden your heart and you don't listen anymore because mammon is speaking louder. When, when money speaks and you're walking in the direction of financial reward, it's a horrific end. This particular case, the, the donkey. Verse 22, the God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the same direction, holding him back in the way as an adversary against him. I always say when you're not moving with God, then you become his adversary, and it's a fearful thing when now you're on the wrong team, wearing the wrong jersey. And he was riding on his donkey, and two servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel, verse 23, of the Lord standing in the middle of the pathway with his sword drawn. And the donkey turned out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam began to beat the donkey. To turn her back to the pathway to go against God. And the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow pathway between the vineyards, a wall on the side and a wall on the other side. And when the donkey saw the angel, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or to the left. And the donkey saw the angel, and she lay down. Balaam began to curse, angrily stuck, struck the donkey with his staff. Verse 28, the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she spoke, What have I to you that you have struck me these three times? You know who the donkey is here today? It's me. And, and now I'm talking and now you're upset with me. Because you don't like to be called a pimp. You don't like to receive unjust wages to move in a direction contrary to God's purpose for his people. And he began to hit that donkey and... The donkey responds. And the funny thing is not that the donkey is speaking. The funny thing is verse 29 where he begins to converse with the donkey. That, that, that's the epitome of insanity right there. 
Not only that the donkey is talking, but that you're talking back. Because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand. I would kill you. I, I wish I could eliminate your voice because you're, you're calling me out. And, and the times, I, I, really, I, I really thought, and this is, this is true to this sermon, there was a time in my progression as a Christian that I thought that there wasn't wicked men upon the earth. I, I thought that that was too strong to be able to put that label on anybody. So, so often I found myself questioning a man who would tell me, uh, Pastor, I'm a thief. Oh, no, you're not. You just had a bad childhood. No, no, Pastor, I like to steal what's not mine. I'm going to take, as, as soon as I have an opportunity, I'm going to steal from you. No, you probably just don't understand. Given positive reinforcement, you're going to do the right thing. No, no, Pastor, I'm a thief. I like to steal. I'm going to steal you blind. You just give me an opportunity. Give me a chance, and I'm going to take what's most precious to you. Oh, no, just if you had enough prayer if you had enough Bible studies, if I spent enough time in fellowship with you, you would eventually do that. No, guess what? In a moment's notice, he stole from me. And he took, and I was like, I can't believe. And I called him, I said, listen, you stole from me. He goes, I told you I was a thief. I told you I was a wicked man. I told you I had no intent in ever doing anything right. And so we Christians are the most naive of all people. Well, I, I've told people in this church, you continue to put water out to replenish and refresh a wolf. So one man came here, and he has one family for money. And let me just give a shout out to the congregation. You're not supposed to give money to anybody. You, you make sure that you steward your money before the Lord and be careful with those people in the congregation that call themselves Christian families, a Christian brother, a Christian sister, and is stealing you blind while you think you're helping them. So this one man asked one family for $5,000, didn't pay them back. He asked a second family for $5,000, didn't pay them back. He asked a third family for $5,000 and didn't pay them back. So I said, look, I didn't know about this. They didn't tell me. I usually don't find out about these things. They're happening incognito, secretly. And I went up to the man when I found out. I said, listen, you took from this man, you took from this family, you took from this family. If you ask one more family in our church for money, I'm going to know you're here as a ravenous wolf. So I know you're not just a person having financial problems you're a wicked thief and a wicked man. And you know what happened before the week was over? He asked another family for $5,000. And so I knew that on our side of this flock is not a sheep, is not somebody who's going, it's a thief. It's a wolf taking advantage of the sheep, um, perceiving to be going through hard straits. But here we see that first example, it goes back. It's in the Old Testament, Numbers 22. We see Balaam, and the Bible says that the future also is, is 
clearly seen with people that want to negotiate spiritual things with financial things. And let's go one more time to Acts chapter 8, where we see another pimp trying to position himself not with God and not with the move of God, not with the men of God, not with the work of the Lord, but he's trying to um, negotiate and commercialize these matters. Acts chapter 8, verse 9, there was a certain man named Simon who has previously practiced sorcery in the city. Sorcery is, is manipulation. It's control. It's trying to uh, be subversive under the scenes and usurp authority, claiming that he was someone great. He was, he, his greatness was determined by the ability of things he can manipulate. And so there, this man who, verse 10, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, they were catering to him, the man in this great power of God, supposedly. And when they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached all things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, we said it last week, and, and it was very phenomenal that Jesus continues to be the pathway of our pursuit. The centrality of our faith is Christ. These men and women were baptized. In verse 13, Simon himself also believed, and he was baptized and continued with Philip and was amazed seeing miracles which were done. There was revival in his life watching the miracles that were being performed. But look what happens next. Verse 14, when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for those believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for as, ye, as yet he had fallen upon none of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, when Simon saw these laying of the hands of, of the apostles, the Holy Spirit was given, he began to offer money. So again, money is not a substance to be writing the affairs of God's work. So we know the testimony before we started Spring of Life Fellowship, five multi-millionaires came up to me and says, Joaquin, we see the grace of God upon your life. We see the anointing. We see the calling. We're going to support your ministry. We want to start a church. And I said, you know, we would have big buildings. We have a lot of chairs. We'd have great music, great equipment. But God wouldn't show up. Because God's move is not about money. The funny thing is that when God finally called us, there was no money. But there was God. And so I thought these men, now that they saw the work of God begin, they would all come back and put their money in direction of God's vision to change the world. Not one of them did. You know what it showed me? 
they wanted to manipulate with their money. They, they did not want to move with God. They, they wanted to buy something. Well, guess what? Nothing's for sale. So some men have said, well, we're not going to give no more. That's your problem. That's your big problem that you thought that something was for sale, that you were giving something to get something. So we were in Nicaragua, and one of the mafiosos came up to me, and he said, what brings you to my town? He thought we were going to put a rivalry gang to subvert money. And I said, listen, let me get this clear for you. We've been here for two years, and what we have given this city in two years, you will never give in a lifetime. What's that mean? That we're here to bless the city. We're here to give of what God has given us. There's, there's no mentality that, that I'm using my money. One man says, if you keep going to Nicaragua, to the missions, we are not going to finance the church no more. Well, that's your problem. That, that's, that's not our problem. We're going to do what God has called us to do as he called us to do it. And there's a season and time for all these things. But this man offered money to the disciples trying to garner some, I don't know what he was thinking, but verse 19 explains it a little bit more. When he is addressed, he would say, give me this power that anyone whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, he gets a royal rebuke from Peter who says to him, you, your money perish and you perish. Man, that's a, that's a quite of a, that's an incredible scenario where Peter says, you missed it. You thought it was a currency exchange. It's not. Because you thought that the gift of God, what God is freely giving you, you are purchasing with money. So that, that becomes a crazy scenario. I don't know if I've overextended myself dealing with the pimps. Because I want to give good time to the harlots. And then greater time to the crazy cats. But, but understand, you know what he says, the answer to this in verse 21? He says, you don't have any part or portion in the affairs of God because your heart is not right. You got to go fix that quickly. You, you got to get God on the inside of you to understand that in his mercy, he extends his favor and prosperity. And in his incredible sight to, to watch a good heart, a bad heart, your heart's not right in the sight of God, you're not going to be able to partake in these matters. Verse 22, repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray that God perhaps the thought of your heart may forgive you, be forgiven you. Make sure that you get God there to release you on the inside and fix your ignorant heart 
your arrogant heart, you and your money perish with you that you thought that your money was involved in any capacity. I, I love how God has blessed and prospered us. I think it's been phenomenal. We, we started out with a lot of young people that were college students and were eating a lot of black beans and peanut butter sandwiches and macaroni and cheese. And now God has prospered them and blessed them. And we're enjoying an expression of ministry that is truly glorious. What we've been able to do with how God has blessed us in this house has marked the nations, has marked men of God who have never seen and heard the things that are going on through this house. But guess what? We weren't pimping. We weren't, we didn't become pimps. A lot of people says, oh, pastor, uh, spend time getting people to tithe more and offer more. No, no, because those who have a right heart with God are being faithful. And this house has been built upon faithful men, not unfaithful men. Some men, I said it last week, they come in through those doors, they see the expression of our prosperity and wealth, and they say, how do you pay for all this? And then our answer is, with the money you don't give. Why, why would they be curious? Because there's, they know that there's faithful men and women in this house that, that, that want to show God gratefulness, an expression of thanksgiving, and, and he says, pray that it might be, and look what he says in verse 23, this pimp, for I see that you are poisoned. What Peter was saying is, man, somehow poison got in your heart through bitterness. We talked about that last week. Make sure you don't walk in bitterness. You start questioning what is happening. Um, way before you came to the Lord, we were serving the Lord for 25 years. So you got a long way to go before you catch up to ask what we're doing and how we're doing it. Because we've been doing it a long time before you got here. And we're going to be doing it a long time after you leave. And I know it spites people and how are they getting, how does God bless them more? Because God watches the heart. God has seen the move of God. And, and he says, but you've been poisoned. How did the poison get in there? You're not part of the party no more. But, and, and you're captive by iniquity. There, there are men who get here and don't want to listen to anybody. They leave and they're like, please speak into my life because I'm going crazy. Give me some sense of sanity and direction. Well, guess what? Don't despise direction. Don't despise somebody uh, giving you their heart's concern about your life, especially when it's a man or a woman of God who's speaking. You should be very cautionate about that. Verse 24, he says to him, Simon answered and said, Peter, pray to the Lord for me that the consequences of my arrogance and my pride and my pimping, none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. He, he starts now entering a little bit of clarity, verse 25. 
that when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages. The work of the Lord goes on despite the pimps, and we see that, that we don't want to be on that side of the equation. Um, we go on to the harlots. We've been dealing with harlots for a long time. Um, this is the disposition in regards to twisting the affairs of God in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 22, Old Testament again, one of the kings goes out to, to try to bring peace. And it happened when Joram saw Jehu, Jehu's coming to represent a move of God against a Jezebel spirit. And the Joram said, are you coming in peace? Can, can we see eye to eye? Can we have an agreement? And Jehu answers him, how can we have an agreement and be in peace as long as your mother continues in her harlotries? Jezebel continues in her witchcraft, which are so many. So... I've been accused, I think rightfully so, that I use the word witch a lot. Well, I think I make up for those who don't use it. When I see other people acknowledging the manipulations of a rebellious move of God that is playing the harlot, I will call it out. For the first five years of this ministry, I never once talked about a witch. Well, I did. I talked about the woman of God, godly woman or wicked witch. But I, I never dealt with the Jezebel spirit. Um, I thought it was not my place. I, 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 I said, if any man is controlled by a witch, he deserves to be. That was my attitude. And... I take off to I take off to the Bahamas. I had um, I had a responsibility there with a pastor, and I was in my hotel room, and I, I was I was pretty much there were several witches flying around doing their stuff affecting their families and their husbands and their children and they wouldn't mess with the church but I said that's their problem and then I was in my hotel in the Bahamas and the Lord leads me to Revelations 2 verse 20 and he says Joaquin while you don't think it's your problem I have a few things against you I said what Lord that you allow that woman Jezebel to move you tolerate that woman you 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 have not come man i came back from the bahamas that first preaching was really strong the first time i dealt with that and i gave her a warning i'm coming after her because uh, the lord says i'm not to tolerate it i'm, I'm not to i'm not to to allow that woman to move in the direction 
of her craziness, of her harlotries. But the climate of the last days, we need to be attentive in Revelation 17, verse, 5, uh, verse 15, that they perceive that the waters which you saw were the harlot, where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes, nations and tongues, all being sat upon by the presence of a harlot. Um, translated whore. Uh, your mother's whoredoms. Your, the way she affects and comes up against the servants of God. Um, you're on the wrong side if you're throwing arrows at the man of God. That, that holds you out to be a witch. To, to be in harlotry. To be at odds with the move of God. The, the beautiful thing here, when people tell me, what am I to do? In the Lord's grace, he's able to restore such a one. You're like, what? Yeah. You could walk in a harlot's spirit, just like you could walk in a pimp's spirit. Just like Peter told Simon, repent so God can forgive you. In the, in the lineage, the story of Christ, we see him come from the, from the womb of four women that were super twisted. We see that in Matthew chapter 1. We see... In verse 3, the lineage of Christ, Judah begot Perez and Sirah by Tamer. And you, you look up the storyline of Tamer and you have a Gentile widow herself veiled as a prostitute, seduces her father-in-law into having sexual relationships. And the twins are born from that relationship. In the line of Christ, the Lord is able to reconcile and redeem this woman's wickedness and put her in the lineage of Christ. The Bible also tells us in verse, I think it's verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz because Rahab, was married to him. And we see that, that Rahab is there, is the whore or the harlot that's in a city conquered by God, Jericho. And she goes from being a harlot to walking in obedience. We, we see this um, told to us in the book of Peter, we'll go there now. But the Bible says at one point in her life, she stopped walking in disobedience and rebellion in whoredom, and she becomes a servant to deliver the spies that came into the city. And for that reward, the Bible says in Hebrews 11.31, that she, by faith, this harlot Rahab did not perish 
with the non-believers, but she, re she had received the spies with peace. She changed jerseys. She was walking in darkness, and she became a faithful daughter. They told her, if you put a red rag outside your home, it will be a mark so that you are not destroyed when we overtake the city. So the Bible says her faith caused her not to perish. And I think that, that there's a, a U-turn to be had by rebellious women who are walking contrary. Again, let me just say this, and, and this is also true. While I thought there was no wicked men upon the earth, it's like they're not being intentional about being wicked. They just don't know better. No, no, no. They're wicked men. And then sometimes I would like counsel people and I would take them into the conference room, these women, and they're, the tears are coming out. And they're, hey, Pastor, you don't know. And you're like, oh, poor, poor girl. And then Yvette will come in there and slay her like a dragon. And I look at Yvette, I'm like, why are you doing that? Because a woman knows a woman. And, and there's no greater time in the world for elderly women to teach the younger women. So we're not had by a bunch of tears from these women that don't mean anything good. They'll take you down like a heartbeat. I've told a lot of my pastors. I, I said to one pastor, I said, do you remember that little girl that danced before Herod? And do you remember she went to her mom? And do you remember her mom didn't say, bless John the Baptist with a big offering? She said, ask for his head on a platter. And there's women that are asking for servants God's head on a platter because they want to be the head. And so I didn't think that there was wicked men. I obviously didn't think there was wicked women until we saw the fruit of their ways. There's one church, a friend of mine's married to his wife, and his wife leaves with another woman. This guy's married with a woman. She leaves and takes off to live in a twisted relationship with another woman, and all the church were like, good for you. Congratulations. We're glad you're so happy. Christian people, not worldly people, people from the church applauding the efforts of wicked women. And my question is, light doesn't have fellowship with darkness. If there's two celebrating, there must be some connection. And I might not be seeing something. But I have to believe we went to Nicaragua and we sat down for lunch the first day. We were sitting down. Fernanda was there. I was there. Pastor Medieros was there. And Fernanda invited a friend from the families to come over and sit with us for lunch. Middle of the lunch, Pastor Medieros goes, Joaquin. I go, what? This lady's a witch. I said, nah, it's not a witch. Come on. And, and, and he says, she heard us talking. And she says, what are you saying? And Medina goes, you're a witch. 
And I was embarrassed. And I said, no, 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 what he's trying to say is, yeah, I was covering for him. And covering for her, what he's trying to say is that maybe in your family, since you were a little girl, somebody took you to a witchcraft. And then Medina goes, I didn't say that. I said she's a witch. And then I said, no, 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 he's not saying, okay, it wasn't your childhood. It was maybe that there's somebody in your family and you happened to, and then he goes, no, pastor, I say she's a witch. And you know what? She said, I'm the town witch. I go around reading tarot cards for everybody. I go, I think he's saying you're a witch. <laughs> we don't believe people are so wicked. They are. That's, that's why I had to preach this sermon, and that's why I couldn't change the title. I tried. I said, maybe wicked men, wicked women, and crazy cats. No. It's pimps, whores, harlots, people that manipulate, people that are twisted, people that need to repent. People that need to repent because they're on the wrong side of eternity. You're not going to get away with your harlotries. There could be no peace. There, you, you can't feel comfortable. I don't like that church. They continually call me a witch. I go, I wonder why you identify with a witch. Because if somebody stood up here and said, you unicorns have to leave this place, I would be perfectly fine. Because I'm not a unicorn. There has to be an issue. And I love one of the sisters here is Aymenu Viola. You guys know her. She says, I refuse that that would be my identity and character. I'm not going to be one of those. And she's here. And she's celebrating God in light, in joy, in peace. So here I have to give an out to someone like Simon, who's a pimp. Balaam also is in the hall of faith in Hebrews 12. This, this woman, John chapter 8, verse 2, early the next morning he went back to the temple. A crowd had gathered and sat. he sat and taught them. And as, verse 3, as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious laws the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and put her in front of the crowd. In verse 4, teacher, they said, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him, verse 6, saying something they could use against them. I'm in good company. But Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger on the dust, Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, and he stood up and said, All right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And the accusers heard this, and they slipped away one at a time, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said, Woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir, she said. Verse 11. Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin 
no more. I think the greatest gift is God's opportunity to bring not only Tamer, not only Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, the one who had an affair, Uriah's wife with David. She also, in Matthew's chapter 1, lineage genealogy, as one of the ones that was in the birth line of Jesus, were part of God's redemption plan for humanity. As we usher quickly to the crazy cats, I'm telling you, I'm not insane because of God's mercy. Because of twisted mindset of people that are walking totally opposite of what God has called us to walk and they want us to approve of their behavior and to find them that they are rational. Jude 1 verse 10, the Bible says these men sneer at misunderstandings according to not being able to understand. They do not know. They speak evil. And whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Uh, I, I have told several Bible teachers in the last five years that I would not like to have seen where my four children would have ended up if they were the ones teaching them. In other words, theology is not what we need. We need godly character. We don't need the depth. I had one man tell me, you don't know. There's things in the Bibles that you haven't figured out. I said, listen, let me stay with the ABCs. That I not be lost in the arrogance of spiritual depth that I lose myself, my family, and those who follow me. I, I want to be able to surround myself with men of sound mind that know what is right and know what is wrong and they walk in the direction of right but here in Jude it says verse 4 certain men have crept in and no one has noticed these are ungodly persons it was predicted about them long ago they twist God's grace into decadence and into behavior of freedom with an opportunity to do whatever they want. And they deny that the, Jesus is Lord. They deny the Lordship, the authority of Christ. And the Bible says that it gives these examples of men who started out right but ended wrong. They were saved out of Egypt, out of the world. They received Christ, but they were destroyed because they refuse to trust and rely upon God. They become very hardened reprobates and apostates. Verse 6, it says, angels who did not keep their proper designation. Each one of us has been given an assignment. We're to be faithful with the assignment that's given. When, when the church started many years ago, we had callings, People says, oh, you got to come to Japan. Oh, hey, you got to come to Africa. You got to come to Jamaica. You, we got to come to Haiti. You got to go do this. You got to go do that. Guess what we've done? We've been faithful to Christ. We're not running all over the place with our heads cut off like a chicken. We're not joining these crazy cats. They, they, they have a loud voice, but in the wrong direction. They, they refuse to take 
the promised land. They refused to keep a place designated. Uh, one of the men that was coming here for years, he says, Pastor, I've been coming here for five years. I finally want to come and occupy a place amongst the ushers. So he joined the ushers team and the ushers asked him to stand right there in his position and he would constantly move and he would never stand his ground. And, and, and they, they said, listen, we don't understand. You, you get here late, you leave early, you don't stand your post, you, get, you can't be accountable to be entrusted to a place to man this post. And, and he came into my office, the, 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 the usher team came up and says, we don't understand this man. He seems to be able to do things outside of the church of responsibility and accountability, but inside the house of God, amongst the people of God, the most simple assignment he's not able to do. So, so I asked him, he says, I, he, he threw a tantrum, he says, I quit. Have you ever seen an older man throw a tantrum? That's ugly. Like, I quit. I'm like, okay, how are you ever going to be a servant of God? If you cannot be assigned a place of responsibility where you are faithful. See, these ushers grow. They're not only placed in a position of authority, and I thank God for their life, but if they're faithful in the small, soon they will have 10 men under their charge. And they will teach these men how to be faithful to what they've been entrusted so that they could grow up and one day be a, a servant of God in the house of God that's not wavering in his responsibility. But he's faithful. And, and he doesn't have the reluctance to every once in a while do what's right. It's, it's every once in a while he might slip, but the overall testimony is he's a faithful man. He, he's faithful to what he's entrusted, and he's respected for that. And so you see the, the raising up of my sons here since they were one and two years old. They, long before they, they were pastors and ordained, the congregation knows they don't waver. They're not all over the place. They could be entrusted to charge, even from a young age. And, and I, I was saying, okay, five years have gone through. Surely they must have told me, I'm tired, I'm sick, I want out. No, that's not in their appetite. They, they, they are committed to the charge entrusted and with the expectation of greater weight of responsibility. In other words, being more committed to the cause of Christ. And so here, while there are people, and Jude, you could read the rest of it, those who left Egypt perished in the desert, those angels who did not keep their proper place are now dwelling in dungeons. Does your Bible say that too? Verse 6, now because they left their place designated to them, now they're kept in eternal chains, in dark judgment for that great day. They're, they're in thick, utter gloom, not for anything else, but for not keeping their proper boundaries, geographical placement. Uh, verse 7, also Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the same way these angels indulged in gross immoral freedom, unnatural vices, sensual perversity. You, you can't perpetually continue in doing things which are 
twisted. There has to be a point where you now, your, your life speaks something else. You stop being a pimp. You're no longer a whore. You're not a crazy cat. In verse 11, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, who destroyed his brother for profit. They have run like the heir of Balaam. So that now Old Testament comes to New Testament. And they perish in the rebellion of Korah. These people are dangerous people. Verse 12, they're hidden reefs. Now that we're in the summertime, there's great danger of those that are hidden reefs because they want to enjoy the love feast, but they are sinking ships. I couldn't use my jet ski this summer so far because it has a four-inch hole in the bottom. What happens? It takes water. Why would you want anyone around us that is going to sink a ship? They feast with you, but have no fear. They serve only themselves. They are clouds without water. They're carried about by the winds. Wherever they blow is where they go. They're not rooted and grounded. They're trees without fruit. They're twice dead, pulled up from the roots. They have no place where they flourish. This is all biblical expressions. Verse 13, wild waves of the sea flinging up their shame like foam. Wandering stars, nobody could could position themselves with direction according to their lives, it wouldn't end up in a right place. Gloom and deep darkness is reserved for them. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, that we be careful and not find ourselves, but we command you, brethren, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks in this manner of disorder and not according to the examples you've received from us. This is a word to the wise. Stay away, keep away from pimps, from harlots, and from crazy cats so that we might be able to serve the Lord in these last days in the midst. Verse 12 such people we command and exhort in the name of the Jesus that they should settle down and work quietly. They should start minding their own affairs. Verse 13, as for the rest of you that are not pimps and not harlots and not crazy crats, do not grow weary in doing good. Father, we praise you. We glorify you and thanks for being able to get through this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you in Jesus' name. Tomorrow is our nation's birth. It's also Joshua's birthday. Uh, we're going to celebrate our nation's birth. Make sure you sing happy birthday to the United States and celebrate this good land of the free, the home of the brave, one nation under God. And, and be thankful to God for giving us this nation. Uh, and then see you on Wednesday. For Bible study, Chaveline is 26 <laughs> since she got here. Oh, she's having a birthday. Wish her well on the way out. Happy birthday, Chaveline. God bless you.